Hello everyone, good afternoon. I hope lunch was good and you're all raring to go, right? This topic is about stress. Okay, so I think our panelists are not feeling stressful, right? <laughs> okay, so the IPS study um, had found that there was quite a high level of satisfaction among parents with schools. And the majority of parents were also satisfied with the teacher's quality. And we only see about 24% of them actually associated a lot of homework with good schools. So, you know, the study seems to suggest that parents do not find this a crucial or having homework as a crucial indicator of a good school. So, a lot of the findings in the study sounds very positive, um, quite rosy. Um, but as a parent of uh, three girls, I have, I have three girls, um, I do find that uh, there may be some differences in what I hear on the ground with what is the findings of the study, and maybe we can talk a little bit about this. Now, I've already gone through three PSLEs, so one is mine, and two for my older girls, and uh, I will be going through another PSLE next year. <laughs> so somehow, these findings don't seem to gel with the kind of experience that, that I've had and the interactions that I've had with other PSLE moms, and typically these are moms, yeah? Uh, there's a lot of unhappiness uh, about, you know, some schools not giving enough homework, not giving enough uh, training for the children in terms of the past year papers, you know, uh, and uh, comments about how talents are being manufactured for DSAs and how, you know, there's an advantage with affiliated schools and so on. So I also hear um, my own children or my own child's teachers asking me to consider uh, sending my child for tuition because uh, she, in one particular exam she did not do well for the subject. So I was like, hmm, what are you doing about it? <laughs> and my youngest child uh, recently, uh, she seems to have taken on an interest in uh, growing plants and, and uh, the like botany and so on. The other day told me that uh, she might have to rethink this because, uh, and, and become like a lawyer instead or something because her, her teacher told her that uh, she's not using the right phrases and the right keywords for her science papers. So she was very upset about that because she said, I answered the questions correctly, it's just that not the right word. Yeah. So I think as a whole, MOE is doing its best. Um, and it is quite challenging for a very large system, uh, like our education system, to move with, with uh, speed. Um, and there is, of course, unevenness across the various schools. And undoubtedly, parents these days are very, very smart, and they know how to game the system. I'll just give you an example on this. You know how schools now try to avoid giving the um, marks or the scores for the top PSLE student in the school? Um, but as the schools try very hard not to mention what is the top scores, at the same time, if you log into your kiasuparents.com, Parents online are actually live, huh? very, uh, very much uh, um, uh, on, the, on the spot, are updating each other, uh, you know, what are the top scores of their children in the various schools. So they, they provide their own uh, offline ranking, uh, or actually online ranking. Yeah, so it's really, uh, you know, how do you beat that system? And MOE is trying very hard to, to prevent that from happening. But I think the thing is, while we may uh, try to subscribe uh, to the sort of purist ideal that we have in education. 
Uh, that means studying for the sake of an education, having values in education and so on. And we can see this in the responses that parents give in the survey or in the study for the IPS. <clears throat> we must also understand that parents are realist. You know, it is their child's future and it is uh, something that is uh, of high stakes and they do want the best um, for their children. And parents, workers themselves, uh, in employment or employers themselves, know that when we apply for jobs, we are often asked to show our uh, qualifications, right? We, and that would sometimes be the basis of how uh, people are shortlisted uh, for jobs. Okay, maybe not PSLE results, huh? but at least O-level results, right? Uh, and PSLE results do uh, allow you to enter the kind of schools that, you, that will give you the kind of social network you need to have an advantage in future. And with that in mind, uh, a lot of parents do still hold on to the need to be competitive, to, to have the edge and to push their children to do well, creating, of course, a lot of stress um, for themselves. Okay? Because I do ask a lot of uh, people who, who, who are PSLE parents, uh, that's what we call them, right? PSLE parents. And they say, that, and, and when you ask them, you know, your child is going through PSLE this year, how are they? Are they doing okay? They'll say, oh, my child is so laid back, relaxed, I'm the one who's stressed. Right? So it's the parents who are doing the stress. So, uh, but of course, we do know that children are also uh, feeling very stressful when they go through the PSLE year. Uh, CNA, in fact, last year did, uh, CNA Insider, if I'm not mistaken, did a, a short video about the girl who was going through uh, her preparations for PSLE and it showed that you know, after school, uh, she still had to go for a lot of enrichment and tuition classes and so on, uh, about 15 hours a week of just all these extras and then coming back uh, in the evening after dinner to continue on doing her homework. So it is very stressful uh, for the children. And the question is really, so are we unnecessarily creating a lot of stress for ourselves? You know, should we just uh, chill like how John said earlier this morning, right? And, and more importantly, how can we manage or how can we change mindsets uh, today so that we can reduce this stress and in future create a culture that is more nurturing for children to grow and, and to learn. So I think it's time now to hear it from our panelists. So let me introduce them to you. We have three uh, for this session. The first one is uh, Professor Pauline Strawn. Uh, please join me up uh, on the stage. Professor Pauline Strawn is a professor of sociology and dean of students in the Singapore Management uh, University. And we also have uh, Dr. Cheung Hoi Sun. Uh, she is the assistant professor of psychology at Yale and US College and a member of the research committee at the Singapore Children's Society. And our last panelist is Dr. Dennis Com. He is the lead guidance specialist with the Student Development Curriculum Division of the Ministry of Education. So can I uh, now invite uh, Professor Strawn to, uh, to do her sharing, please. Well, since I'm so long-winded, I thought I better be guided by slides, right? <laughs> and I'm watching the time. Okay, so, so, so I'm given this very sexy topic, who's to blame? Thank you so much, Matthew. Okay, yeah, let me figure out how to work, enter, that's right. So when I looked at this, the situation that we're in today, so what exactly is the situation out there? I think Matthew's survey is so timely. 
many moons ago, and I worked on low fertility issues right for the longest time. And the question that we've been trying to answer always is, why? Why are Singaporeans not growing large families? And I would cite Sharon Hayes, very dated by now, right? Her thesis was on the cultural contradictions of motherhood. And in her thesis, she, she's a sociology professor at UCLA. Her, in her thesis, she identified the term intensive mothering, where you know, she argues that women, when we have children, over-love our kids and over-indulge and over-invest. And then her whole thesis is you know, about you know, the building up a model on why. Why does this happen? Why do we do this, right? So Matthew's data today is very scary. In Sharon Hayes' thesis, the overindulgent mothers are primarily upper-class women. Because to overindulge, you must have the resources. That's what overindulge means, okay? So her thesis focused on upper-class women educated with resources, with means to overdo it and as a result, spoil the market, right? What we see in Singapore today, based on the data, he calls them loving lions. <laughs> I think, is it loving lioness? It's from middle class upwards. So whenever you look at trend data, and you see the middle class buy-in, this means that the society has been transformed because the middle class is the bulk of our spectrum, population spectrum. We have a small group of upper class. In Singapore, mercifully, we have a small group of lower end income. The bulk of us are in that range of middle class, from lower middle to middle middle to upper middle, no matter how, no, how you cut it, right? So his data tells us that most Singaporean parents now believe that they have to do it all. Now that is the critical ingredient in this perfect storm. So we have that transformed middle class group and we have a very competitive school system and that is also an evolved process. Like my esteemed chairperson, I also went through three PSLEs. One of my own, I have no recollection. I don't think I studied, all right? I don't even know that was an exam, and then somehow I was you know, put from, I was told that, okay, tomorrow, next year, you will move to secondary school across the field, because I went to CHIJ town. And all of us just said, ah, okay, we continued playing, and life was good. When my children went to, through PSLE, Oh my goodness, I went through the real PSLE. It was terrible. After the first one, I had the second one, and I told myself, thank goodness I don't have a third. I don't think I will survive. Okay? So the system has evolved. And I believe that it has become more demanding. I'm not criticizing MOE here. I think that MOE responds. But the response sometimes have unintended consequences. Right? So, I remember, I've been working at universities for a long time. So I remember when, when I was handling admissions at FASS, and per points were introduced because we thought that we should stream in CCA. 
right? And we looked at per points. We, I didn't even know what that was, right? So the per points came about somewhere between when I was a school, when I was in secondary school, and when I became, you know, uh, university uh, staff. And then you hear students and parents complain. Good gracious now, it's not good enough just to be good in your studies. You have to also be good in your CCA, right? So was that the intention of MOE? I don't think so. But the problem is when, we have, when, you, when you make a tweak to the education system, there are unintended consequences and, and MOE can't stop them, right? So, so we've been tweaking that. So for the specialized schools, same thing. So MOE's, MOE's intent, of course, is to create a varied platform so that students of different you know, uh, backgrounds will be able to find a, a school that is suitable for them. See what happens? Now parents are making, trying to try their utmost best to put their children in the IP schools because the perception is it's harder to get in, therefore it must be better. Right? And then, similarly, I was interviewed on entrance to the SOTA, which surprised me. Apparently now, parents send their poor primary school kids to some special coaching somewhere to come up with this portfolio, right? So that they can present the portfolio as DSA. And then, of course, the NUS high school, perceived of as being prestigious because it's new and so on, right? So... While the education platform has become more varied, certainly more options now, but on the ground, the perception now is that, oh my goodness, mainstream school is just so ordinary. And my child is not ordinary. My child is always exceptional. So that adds on right, to this perceived pressure that we have to start them early. Another unintended consequence now would be the recent announcement, which from the sociological anger, and I'm sure Matthew would agree with me, is good. And that is mandatory preschool. It's always good to be able to spend more resources investing in children. But the message that a lot of parents hear is, oh goodness, the brain starts developing when they are three to four years old. It's too late. By the time you start tuition and enrichment when they're in primary school, it's too late. We better get them started now. Now that's scary, right? And while all this confusion is going on, parents are all confused and jittery. MOE is equally confused because everything they do makes things worse, it seems. And who should come in? Enterprising capitalists, aka enrichment centers. So, who is to blame? All of us. All of us. Because we all know something is not right. So, you guys sitting in front of me, aside from the children who are still in school, you're all potential employers. Next time you have a position open, are you going to look at which university they came from? Which employer? First of all, let's start. Who are the ones who are in situation of where you can, where you, who is employed at this point? Put up your hands. 
That means you're not, you're not one of those MOE students, right? Come on, come on, come on, lift your hands up. As long as you're employed, you're a potential employer. All right, lift, come on, exercise, exercise. Leave them up there. You're going to be hiring somebody for your team. How many of you will not look at their A-level results and will not look at their university results? Keep your hands up. Will not look, will not look. And then you go like, how to employ like that? <laughs> well, that's the point, right? We say we shouldn't put too much emphasis on which university you came from. But you still ask for the university results, and you're all complaining about me now. This is like when I said, you know, get rid of the PSLE, and then you go, how? Then how? How to stream them? So now I say, you know, don't look at the university results. Don't look at which junior college you come from. You go, how? How to? But precisely, that's why it's so difficult, isn't it? When we want, when you're talking about a change, a cultural change, it means that we have to stop doing things the way we are doing it now, and think of new ways to select talent, to hire, and so on. So just now, Genevieve corrected me when I said that the ultimate destination should not be university. I think I'm still right, but never mind. Just because I'm gracious, I'm going to say, okay, let's change that rhetoric now. The ultimate destination should be gainful employment, okay? Fair enough, Genevieve, okay? So it means then, so we push the blame further and further, right? All right, so when it comes to employment, so that's the rubric that's missing from my perfect circle because we actually don't know what employers want. I put MOE up there because we know what MOE is trying to do. MOE has been responsive, all right? It's just that every time they respond, it makes the market very jittery. We know what parents are like because of Matthew's good work. We know, don't, don't ring the bell. We know, <laughs> we know what enterprising capitalists are like because we heard them. I didn't. I wish I was here, but I had to rush off to do something. So, the only, what I don't know at this point, and I really don't, is what employers are looking for. And that, I think employers are the key factor right now. Because if employers come up to us right now and say, hey, if you graduate from Yale NUS, I don't want you. Oh, that'll be the end of Yale NUS, right? Okay? But if employers continue to say, we want to you know, look at prestigious universities, we want to, you know, we prefer the, the main universities rather than the, you know, there's a stacking order of universities. Now, of course, prestige to entry to university remains a key factor, and students and their parents will keep looking at that gateway. So, from the parent's perspective and from the, well, the child usually does not gain this consciousness until probably secondary school. So from the parent's perspective, there are several gateways to the well-being of their child. So what are parents looking at? Because they have so few children, because they choose to have that one or two child, they feel morally responsible to ensure that the child is given everything they can give so that the child can clear the herders, and then they would say, I have done my job as a parent. So the first herder is entry into a primary school. Why? Because they don't believe that all schools are good schools. It's not factual, it's perception, right? Then the second herder, of course, is clearing the PSLE, and then the rest of the story you know. So 
Can we blame parents? No, that's not fair to blame parents because they're trying their best for their children. Can we blame MOE? Well, no, because MOE has to educate the whole nation and there must be some way in which... So, so, so Genevieve, you know, it's like, what, what do you do, you know, when we tell them that, you know, you shouldn't be, you know, striving for all these esteemed goals, but at the end of the day, if employment out there says that I have 10 jobs, there's 1,000 applicants, what is the fastest way for me to, to stream it down so that I can at least look at the, 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 the files? class of honours, right? And then after that, it will be a sizable amount, a hundred, and then the team can sit down and, and go through the pages and pages of it. So the question here is, are we brave enough to sit down together and say, we are all to blame, and in order for a, a dramatic cultural change to save our children, we all have to work together. Because the minute one person holds out, spoils the market, it starts all over again. So what can we do? I'm a sociologist, as is Matthew. So whenever we look for social, we look for solutions, we look at the underlying social structures, right? So we have to re-evaluate the underlying social structures that governs our society. So things that have worked well in the past, and I think I hear MOE says, say this quite a lot. And it's true, we have a very good education system. Someone like myself gained from the education system tremendously. And because of that, I enjoy upward social mobility. It's all because of the fantastic education I received at CHIJ and then that started me off and taught me how to dream. But we are now at the point where the feedback is, Something in the system is causing our children, making our children sick. Surely we must do something about it because we're dealing with a new social order and it's time to relook old practices to see if we are congelling with the needs of the emerging trends. So I believe this is my last slide. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so, oh, I lost it. The last slide and I lost it. Here we go. All right. Nobody can help me out there, is it? So I just leave it like that. Come and help me, child. Okay? No. So I have, so I, I'm, I'm used to IPS now, right? They say, don't give long grandmother conclusions, all right? Just give us solid proposals, right? Last time they asked for two and got me into so much trouble because I said, get rid of the PSLE, right? So now, <laughs> now I say, let's think, let's think broadly about three proposals, okay? The first would be to take a hard look at our society and ask, at this point in our growth, at this point in our development, at this point when we are facing so many challenges, is there still a need for differentiation? we have a shrinking birth cohort year on year. Used to be when you have, you know, huge birth cohorts entering schools, then the idea that you need to stream the kids so that you can maximize resources, so that you can highlight, you know, the talented, over-invest in them, and then for the rest of the masses, try to segregate them, you know, so that we can at least educate everyone. But we've come to the point where we're closing schools. Is there still a need for differentiation? Rather than close schools, why not think out of the box and think about small classes 
at the primary school. Instead of only having small classes at primaries one and two, why not extend it to all six years? Instead of tagging small class to 30, why not 25? So you may ask, what is the merits in small class teaching? I can tell you, across the board, all the literature and pedagogy tells us that small group teaching is the most effective if you have trained educators. If you have educators who just go in and waste that one hour, then get rid of them. But if you have a trained educator who can learn how to, how to, hide, how to understand and appreciate what each child brings into the classroom and into discussions, that educator can do miracles. And then you can put all the tuition centers out of business. Okay? The reason the enrichment centers are thriving is because parents feel that their child, their ta child's talent is not recognized in a class of 40. So they have to take them out and put them in a very expensive class of 20. Okay? But if, if we transform primary school education and you give the confidence to parents that your child's talent will be recognized, if your child falls behind, we will immediately know what to do. If your child is smart, we will immediately know what to do. And then we will be able to try to allay the concerns of parents and perhaps you know, get them to trust our education system once again, right? And not shift their trust to marketing, you know, the, the capitalist enterprise. The second proposition is to ask the very difficult question. Are we over-rewarding? Sorry, it came out so fast. Are we over-rewarding ourselves at certain segments? Right? We are a meritocratic society. So as a result, we are fairly comfortable about rewarding and sometimes giving very, very attractive rewards to first-pass posts. So the question is, the world is changing. We're going to have fewer and fewer in our workforce. Should we continue this practice of creating such a steep hierarchy when it comes to remuneration and reward at the workplace? You can be comfortable about over-rewarding the elites if we truly believe that it is purely a meritocratic system, right? All of us cheer on, you know, when you see the poor marathon runner racing, 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 dying almost, and then the first one that comes, everybody just loves that poor person. And then suddenly you hear, oh, they took steroids. And then you go, oh, shame. How dare they? We strip them off their medal. Inter intergenerational transfers. Isn't that like steroids? Let me rephrase that. This, this crowd is too tame for it. All of us, all of us in this room, we, most of us, I shouldn't say all of us, most of us benefited from our parents' background. Not just because your parents had money, but because your parents believed in delayed gratification and therefore saved to send you to school and delayed your entry into the workforce while they continued to work, right? 
And then sometimes because we are in echo chambers, we are all among ourselves, we work in the same office, we work amongst people like ourselves, professionals, graduates and so forth, we don't realise that there are people in Singapore who do not enjoy the same benefits, where education is considered a luxury that they don't invest in and don't, don't save for and don't, con don't necessarily support. And then, of course, you have families where they believe in the idea of education because Singapore is small enough for us to, you know, to share these ideas across the sectors, but they don't have the means, right? So, of course, MSF that, and, and, and MOE as well, they, we do a very good job of making sure that there's a safety net, okay? But the problem is that safety net comes in at different times, right? And as a result, we have to acknowledge that when you have a kid who does so well you know, at the PSLE, a lot of that must come from the family background influences. So if that's the case then, and then this you know, it replicates, right? once you have that benefit from square one, you know, it helps, it, it dom there's a domino effect somewhat. right? So should we then make such a big deal of the one who comes in first? So my proposal simply is, can we think of ways to reduce the cost of being the second best? And if we do that, then we'll be good. So how, you ask how? We're so used to rewarding based on money, right? Titus, right? If you, you, know, if, you, if you do so well, you'll get this job, and then you'll get this very, very big salary, and then everybody will valorize you. But there are other ways of rewarding. For example, respect. Right? Where you so recently I asked my Korean students, my Korean graduate student who graduated and had a hard time finding a job. And apparently it's very, very difficult for, for those with PhDs in Korea to find a job because it's saturated, the market is very saturated. So then I asked, then why? Why do all of you go and do your PhD? And then she says, Oh, it's the prestige professor. <laughs> and I go like, but how much money do you get? And they get paid a fraction of what we pay our PhDs here. But she's like, that doesn't matter. It's the prestige. And therefore, the prestige is enough to encourage a whole bunch of brains to go into further education. Right? Final point. This has been overset already, right? An environment that supports many peaks of excellence. Have we done that? I think this seriously is work in progress. I can see us moving forward. Every time PM speaks, I hear him closing that gap. I don't think we can afford to wait so long because each time we wait five years, whatever, right? A whole cohort of children go by and they suffer. So how do we then? How do we, what, what does it mean when we say, you know, we support many peaks of excellence? I think we're still thinking of many peaks in terms of the prestigious peaks, right? So I was just sharing with uh, the journalist group outside. I said, for me, if someone, you know, if, if I don't show up at work, if I'm sick or something, right, I don't think I'll be missed that much because, you know, I have skills that are... Well, there's a whole team, right, working on the same, same issues. I think they'll be able to survive. But if, if my, my, my sink or my toilet was, if my toilet is, is blocked and is overflowing and I call the plumber 
And then the plumber is supposed to come the next day, and then he goes, oh, I'm so sorry, I'm sick. Oh my goodness, my whole house will go down, right? Because, because he has a skill, a skill which is really valuable. My aircon man, very important to me in this kind of weather. So those are the people with skills that we don't quite yet recognize. We've got to do better. Thank you so much. Can you hear me? Thank you very much, Dr. Strong. Okay, next up is, uh, can I invite uh, Hoi-san to do your sharing? Okay, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, this forum is great, because we are talking about such important issues, and it's just a pity that you know, we are not involving parents and children in a forum like this. So my presentation today, I am attempting to bring in some voices of these parents and children. So we'll offer you a fresh perspective on the issue of stress in schools. So in this presentation, I'll be discussing the findings from a study conducted by the Singapore Children's Society, which looked at children's educational aspirations and parents' views on the education landscape in Singapore. And based on the findings, we speculate that parents and children alike experience a high level of academic stress because of a tight competition for good or what we call elite schools and ultimately a university degree, which is seen as a sure route to success in life. So data for the quantitative part of this study were collected in 2015, and this is part of a larger study which we did that looked at school stratification, how school stratification is related to children's academic self-concept and aspirations. And the study involved 600 primary and secondary school students and their parents. And we asked them which type of schools they aspire to enroll in in the future and what is the highest level of education that they hope to attain in the future. And the results show that about 38% of primary school students and parents aspire to enroll in an elite secondary school. And the majority of them hope to attain at least a university degree. And when we look at secondary school students, about 30% of them and 27% of their parents aspire to enroll in an elite post-secondary school. And more than 90% of them hope to attain at least a university degree. So in view of these statistics, we did a follow-up qualitative study to address the following questions. So the first question we looked at is, why do parents prefer elite secondary schools? At least a third of them did, according to the quantitative study. And why do parents value a university degree? And finally, what are parents' views on the current emphasis on academic uh, um, achievement in Singapore? So the parents who participated So the parents who participated in the quantitative study were approached a year later in 2016, and the data were collected um, so a year later after the quantitative study. So out of 128 parents we contacted, 20 of them agreed to be interviewed for this qualitative component, and it just so happened that all of them are mothers. And We also had an even distribution of mothers uh, and with, the, with children from elite and non-elite primary and secondary schools with five participants in each of these cells here. 
and we conducted semi-structured interviews that took about 30 minutes to complete on average, and then the transcripts were coded independently by two coders to establish uh, inter-rater reliability. So let us look at what the findings are. So parents preferred elite secondary schools because of a good academic track record and what they perceive to be good teaching quality in those schools. And they also put, appreciate the opportunities for overseas trips, so non-academic uh, expect of um, an elite secondary school is they will have more programs that will allow children to explore further beyond Singapore. And interestingly, they also felt that elite schools have a better school environment uh, in terms of a better social economic composition uh, that will lead to better peer behavior and that is conducive for learning. And um, they feel that in such an environment, the kids are also more motivated to achieve uh, even better in their schoolwork. And elite schools also present better prospects because getting into an elite school also means that they will have a higher chance of admitting into a university and then more opportunities for networking that is useful for future careers. So why do parents value a university degree? It's because of the perception that a degree brings a bit job and financial security for the children. And they also feel that a degree is really the minimum requirement to survive in Singapore, to stay competitive in this job market. However, on the other hand, some parents also feel that a university degree is sort of like a personal achievement for the child, to be able to nurture the child to fulfill his or her full potential. Now, at the same time, some parents also feel that the current emphasis on academic achievement in Singapore is at the expense of character building in schools. So they feel that you know, doing well in school alone, marks alone, grades alone are just not enough. They need that character in order to succeed in their future careers. And the emphasis on academic achievement also meant that there's a greater pressure to enroll their children in tuition classes in order to keep up with the race. And the majority of the parents we interviewed uh, in the qualitative study did sign, up the children, did sign the children up for tuition classes. And understandably, this situation created a lot of pressure on the child and the parents, and in some instances caused a lot of parent-child tension. So from the interviews, there seems to be some consensus among the parents that academic achievement is necessary for university admission, and ultimately having a university degree guarantees success in life. So let us look at some of the quotes by parents that reflect those themes. Now, this parent with a child from an elite primary school said that her daughter is drowned with homework, tuition homework, and all the past year papers they are giving out, and that her brain is tremoring, which she sees as a symptom of stress. Another parent with a child in a non-elite second uh, primary school feels sorry for her children who have to go through this system which she feels is very draining and enough to make a child depressed at a young age. And the focus on academics is also a source of parent-child tension. This parent feels that her relationship with her child is affected because she gave up her job to coach her child and pushes the child very hard to help the child achieve whatever the government probably wants the child to achieve. And this is another quote. 
The last quote, okay, that exemplifies how a degree is equated with success. This parent said, to survive in this country, you must have a degree. A paper qualification is the only way out if you really want to have a decent life. So the findings here from this uh, quantitative and qualitative study are by and large consistent with those reported in the 2015 PISA report and the recent IPS study, where Singaporean students were found to experience high levels of anxiety arising from schoolwork and exams. So why are parents experiencing, or children also, experiencing so much stress? Based on our findings, we think that the competition to get into elite secondary school and a university are contributing to the pressure because our parents ultimately see admission to an elite secondary school as a way, as a more guaranteed route to university uh, admission that will guarantee them a degree. And this is also shown in our quantitative study where parents and children from elite secondary schools were more confident that their children would at least attain a university degree. And in turn, parents consider a degree as a sure route to success, where success is often equated with job and financial security. But should success mean more than just that? Or how should we define success in the first place? So to explore these questions further, uh, the Singapore Children Society is organizing a forum in November, starting with a lecture by Minister Chan Chun Singh. So he'll be talking about the you know, definition of success. And then on the same day, we have a public forum asking questions about how we can broaden the definition of success. And that is the most important thing. We end off with a dialogue with the children themselves on what makes them shy. So if you're interested in any of these and the findings that I've just discussed, they're all available on the Singapore Children's Society's website. Thank you. Thank you very much, Hyson. Okay, so we've heard from our first panelist, uh, Professor Strawn, uh, and her proposals on how we can rethink and relook at, um, you know, the differentiation that we currently have in terms of streaming and so on, and whether we can flatten the hierarchy, as well as create a social environment that uh, supports many different peaks of excellence instead of just uh, looking at the academic excellence and uh, from what uh, uh, the study from uh, Hoi San's research has shown, parents do link uh, success quite closely and uh, very much directly to academic uh, achievement. So it's a question of can we rethink what is uh, success? And uh, now let's hear from Dr. Dennis Com uh, on his view about their stress in schools. Hi, um, good afternoon to all of you. Today's Teachers' Day actually is an off day for teachers, so I'm wondering why I'm here. <laughs> but I'm very glad to be here actually, uh, because uh, we want to be involved in this conversation about student stress, because the well-being of the students is very much, very close to the teacher's heart. Now today's topic that was given to us is uh, stress in school, who's to blame? But I'm going to take a slightly different track, uh, not looking at who's to blame, but more to look into how to understand the issue more comprehensively, much deeper, so that we really can wrap our head around the issue and come up with a more comprehensive solution. Because every time we look at the issue, sometimes it's quite easy to look at it and then call for action. But a lot of times, such solutions that have been proposed are usually quite unidimensional and doesn't quite help to address the issue comprehensively. And like Pauline says, sometimes when you apply some of these issues, you get unintended consequences because you don't deal with it comprehensively. 
So my discussion will come from three angles. Uh, first of all, really to look at the paradigm. How do we see stress? Is it all negative or is there some usefulness to stress? Then of course, we'll look at uh, what are some of the, what's the nature, as I was mentioned earlier, of this stress problem. And of course, we all want remedies. So I will give a little bit of discussion on this topic. Okay, to begin, um, let's look at the paradigm part. Uh, I want to share with you this chart. This chart is uh, taken from The Economist, I think it's April 2017 issue. Basically, it uh, reports on the PISA 2015 findings. I'm sure you're quite familiar with PISA now, right? I think Straits Times have run a few reports on it, and then uh, there's a lot of forum discussion. Okay, what goes to the headline is that Singaporean students are very high on the anxiety level. I think the report also shares another thing that, um, that didn't quite catch the headline. That's that uh, the point is that uh, our students are also amongst one of the highest in the world in terms of academic motivation. That means the drive to succeed, the drive to persevere, to, to, to get good outcomes. And of course, not surprisingly, if you look at where Singapore is, the top right-hand corner, that's the quadrant where uh, we are high on uh, performance, okay, achievement. We are high on academic motivation or drive. Of course, we are also high on the stress level. But I share this with you just to highlight to you that um, there's more than one side to the, to the problem. Of course, high anxiety is the issue. But the silver lining is that our students are also highly motivated. And more importantly, the report actually says that uh, generally, by psychological principles, if you are high in anxiety, you normally don't do as well in terms of performance outcome. But Singapore students beat that. You know, we are always exceptional. So they are high in everything. Uh. Okay, high stress, everything we want to be high. Okay, but the point is there is another angle to that, then there's a silver lining. It's better to have our students high in motivation rather than unmotivated. And this is a very familiar uh, stress performance curve. I think we all know about it. Okay, uh, I think stress is a natural human response to challenges to demands and it gets our system ready to perform to overcome the issue, uh, the challenges to perform well. Uh, the theory also says that a bit of stress is good because it really gets you up, you know, the, but up to a certain point, there's an equilibrium point and beyond that, of course, performance goes down. Okay? So that's the part, the over-anxiety part, the over-stress part is the one we want to manage. The other important point is that uh, for different individuals, of course, um, they have got different level of um, equilibrium, different equilibrium points. So some can take more stress, some can take less. Now, I, sorry, I mentioned this point because I think we have to be careful when we look at the stress issue. While it is an issue and we want to manage it, I think it's important not to over-demonize it. Because if we all get to it and then we try to remove everything, all the stress that's available, we try to, it's almost like molly cuddling our, our children. And what happens to them? They, they're, they're devoid of the opportunity to develop resilience because in reality, in real life, there's never going to be anywhere you can totally remove stress, even if you can lessen it for them. But what happens when they go up, grow up and go out into the, the, the world? And when they face the international, uh, the global economy and so on and so forth, they are bound to be challenged again. So I think the important thing is to look at stress and help our students develop the resilience for it. The second point I want to highlight is that um, I think looking at the stress issue, we 
hearing all the discussion from morning until now, you realize that it is really a multifaceted and interlinked issue. Okay, and uh, I would like to just propose uh, looking at it maybe simultaneously at two levels. I think the first level is the individual level. Um, that we probably how a person perceives things, how he or she evaluates the situation around him or her, uh, whether this person has a coping capability and also what are the expectations. Okay, we heard a lot about expectations. What are the expectations on himself? The second level that we want to look at is really the social and societal level. Right? Um, this is with respect to what are the social forces that are uh, uh, acting on the person that causes a stress uh, response. This can be in terms of what are the opportunities open to this person, uh, what are the social comparison that is happening around, what, what are the societal expectations, and also whether the person has the opportunities available. So there are many, many factors here. In fact, this uh, chart is not exhaustive, just that I don't have enough space to put it in. But the fact that it's very crowded tells us that it is really a complex issue and we have to explain, uh, trying to understand all angles of it. And of course, the two sets of uh, factors do interact one another. And just to illustrate the point about um, how the broader social environment uh, does affect and trickle down to impact the psyche of the students and precipitating stress and anxiety in them, I want to share with you the findings from the National Youth Survey conducted by the Youth Council, I think released just not too long ago. Um, this one surveyed about more than 3,000 youths. What the finding basically shows is that um, in terms of what well, the common stressors for these young people, some as young as 15 years old, is that um, when they look into the future, some of them are already beginning to worry. They are already beginning to worry about what is to come, especially in a very complex and increasingly challenging environment that they're growing up into. For example, um, they look at what are, the, what are the concerns about future opportunities open to them, whether it's in terms of work, what are the financial burdens that they're going to have to face, and also what are some of the... Um, Emerging adult responsibility. Sorry, I can't see. Getting old. Okay, so if you can imagine yourself as a teenager now, and you are looking at your environment, you are looking at if you are more perceptive, and you see what are some of the possibilities that are coming to you, I think it's not difficult to understand why that stress gets trickled down and they begin to compel themselves, push themselves in order to uh, have to perform better because they all want to come up top so that they can even survive. That brings me to my third point, really. Um, we want to look at some of the possible possibilities that can, uh, some of the uh, potential that we can have on our side to help to address and mitigate these issues. Um, share with you another set of study. Not too long ago, we conducted a survey with a group of uh, representative sample of uh, teenage students. We tried to understand what are the common stressors that they face and uh, how are they coping with it? And of course, the findings shows that there are different categories of stressors and differing level of uh, uh, coping capability. The most common one will be the uh, relationship-related uh, stressor. If you look at the rectangular box, you see that they are relationship issues with different people in different contexts, but basically about 5 to 10% of the students reported that they can't cope with it. Okay. The second category will be what we call the uh, transition-related issues, changes in life circumstances. We know that that precipitates stress. 
So about 10% says that they can't cope with it. And the third category is an interesting one. Uh, we call them the expectation-related uh, stressors. Basically, um, unmet expectations in terms of academic performance, whether from, them, from themselves or others, as well as even you know, expectation about physical appearance. For this one, actually, uh, this is a hard one for more of our youths because uh, about 15 to 25%, a much bigger group, indicated that they can't cope with it. But if you look at the number overall, there is good news, there is hope. Because actually, if you flip the numbers around, the majority of our students can cope with it, about at least three quarter to even 95%, depending on which particular stressor indicated that they can cope quite well with it. So that shows that our students are resilient and they have the capability to be strong in, in, in the face of various stressors that they face. So I think what the finding shows is that I think when we look at the issue of stress, anxiety, it is important to look at the other side of the coin, which is about coping. Um, the good news, in fact, the better news is that the, we, when we see that the proportion of students that uh, can cope is actually the majority, we can increase that majority even further because the ability to cope can be developed, can be trained, can be taught. In fact, there are specific mindsets and specific social emotional skills that can be taught to the students so that it increases their resilience. For example, if you look at um, perspective taking, we can teach them perspective taking skills and that will help them address the expectation related issues, which is the majority, the, the main, main, main challenge. We can also teach them in terms of uh, emotional regulation and that will help them deal with the angst of the various issues that they face. And of course, Relationship issue is another big one, and we can teach them actually relationship management skills so that they can actually have uh, less relational conflicts and hopefully less anxiety. And on a more macro level, uh, I think it's been shared earlier, MOE is shifting towards a more holistic, more um, balanced curriculum. And you see some of these reports already coming out. We are implementing them. We are trying to uh, refine, improve them. And hopefully with this, it will increase the joy of learning, the engagement of students, and hopefully also reduce the anxiety. And of course, part of that process also involves um, creating more choices, more opportunities in the educational pathway. Hopefully that will temper the competition quite a bit and, and of course reduces the stress accompanying it. I think our whole strategy is to try to develop the resilient mindset trying to teach students very concrete skills so that they can manage, they can deal with the situation, they can be resilient. And research has found out that um, by doing all this and together with a very supportive environment and together with ample opportunities and choices, it can actually help to tip the balance to produce a better outcome for our students. And this is my last slide. Um, I think we have heard that Stress is really a multifaceted issue. No one agency, no one body, no one individual can address it adequately. But I think together, as we come together, as we put our head together, like Pauline says, sit down, talk about it, try to come up with some, some solutions that we can all work together and let no one spoil the market. I hope that uh, down the road with schools, parents, community, even the students themselves working on it, maybe a few years down the road, uh, we can be in a better place when PISA measures the, the stress level again. Thank you. Thank you very much.
So we are now at about three o'clock. We have about half an hour and the floor is open for any questions. Um, it would be really great if uh, you can use the microphones uh, that's provided there. Uh, just identify yourself and the organization that you come from. Um, otherwise, we can also take questions uh, from the pigeon hole. Okay, so uh, since uh, okay, there's no overwhelming queue there, okay, let's uh, go to... <laughs> Um, I do have a question, though. Maybe I'll start with um, Dr. Dennis Com. Dennis, yeah, on the issue of stress. I mean, he's saying that stress is not entirely a bad thing, right? It's actually good for building resilience in our children, and resilience is needed for us to prepare our children to be ready for the future, especially uh, in a VUCA kind of world where it's uncertain and uh, you need to be agile and you need to move quickly and adapt yourself and be resilient to failures and pick yourself up and move on. So maybe stress is, is not a bad thing. But I guess the tricky part is how do you know what's the threshold? When is stress a good stress and when is it a bad stress, you know. So how, how do we manage that balance? Maybe you can share thoughts on this. Okay, thank you. Yeah, um, as I mentioned just now, I think the issue about finding the equilibrium point, it is different for different people. So really, can't quite give you a definitive answer, but I think maybe from the experience of being a parent myself also, I think it's important to just understand the kid and have good communication with the kid. And uh, sometimes it's not straightforward. Sometimes you need to understand where they're coming from, what are they going through, uh, understanding their capability, their coping capacity, and also at the some, sometimes teaching them some skills to manage that. Because sometimes when they come, it's like they're struggling. They may be facing a lot of stress because they don't have the skills to manage that. And if you can hear where they're coming from, um, give them some skills, teach them how to do it, and then let them try it out and see whether it works or not. Yeah, it's, it's always a kind of a testing on the water kind of thing. Of course, there are, there are some symptoms that are very clear. If you see that your child is turning blue, you know, struggling, and uh, they're not going to school, and uh, can't sleep well, and uh, always very withdrawn. Uh, these, these are very clear symptoms that they're certainly overstressed. But other than that, sometimes it's really to, to find that grey boundary, how much they can take, how much you can support them. Uh, but yet at the same time, giving them a little bit of room to try it out so that um, they can slowly build up their resilience. Um, to take the analogy, sometimes it's, you know, as parents, we, we bring out kids, uh, we always want things hygienic and clean, right? So especially infant. But then sometimes a little bit of dirt is good. <laughs> Okay, it basically build up their body's resistance to, to some of these things. But how much do you allow them to take that? You really don't know. You, you, try, you try to keep it clean, but sometimes, you know, you, you just let them go a little bit with it and see whether they force. Uh, I wouldn't say you let them fall sick, but you just have to observe them. If they really fall sick, that's over. So I think it's, it's really to find the balancing point in a day-to-day -day, uh, monitoring. If I may just... Uh I don't agree with Dennis. I think that I think stress is one of these overused social constructs. So as a sociologist, a social construct means it's an, an abstract notion which is very subjective. We all claim that we understand it and share the same meaning, but actually we're not talking about the same thing. For most of us in this room, stress is sometimes the word stress, and I'm not saying the real meaning, right? 
the notion of being stressed out is almost carried like a badge of honour because it shows that I'm working very hard. <laughs> but the kind of stress that I'm worried about as an educator, they are manifested in very objective indicators. The most extreme will be suicide. And MOE knows, and you have been tracking. Universities have suffered. Whenever we see a suicide case, we always ask ourselves, what happened? Why couldn't we have stopped it? It's tragic to lose a young life prematurely. And then you have other indicators, which again, I believe, um, have been tracked. Lack of sleep, right? That's a very objective indicator. And we see statistics coming up telling us our little children, our young children are telling us that they don't have enough sleep. And that's very, very sad that at primary school, they're still up at 12 midnight trying to finish homework. And you know, it's not MOE homework. It is all this enrichment homework, completing the 10-year series, exam, school exam papers and all that. Why do we do it? We do it because we believe that it is good for our child. So that's why I'm very stern with Dennis. That's when we have this kind of very ambiguous language. Stress is good. Stress you know, builds resilience. And then it empowers the confused parent to push a little bit, push a little bit. But the scary thing is, unless you know your child very, very well, that line between sanity and, ins and insanity is so thin. And once you lose that child to depression, you can't just talk them out of it. So that's why I say I disagree with Dennis. I think that if we believe that our children, our young children here, are manifesting stress symptoms, then we really have to get down and get serious about it. And we really have to invest, right? in the right professional tools to tease out the early indicators and to really roll out preventive measures. Because once they tilt over, I mean, many of you know of friends, colleagues, loved ones who have depression. Once you have that first fall, it changes the persona completely. They lose all confidence and then the next fall will come and so on. Since Pauline is so stern with me, and uh, probably have to give her a good answer, otherwise I'll have to stay back today. <laughs> She's a stern teacher. Okay, um, a quick answer to the... I think Pauline raised the issue about suicide and lack of sleep. Yeah, um, every life loss is one too many. I think that, that is clear for us. I think MOE take this uh, issue very seriously. We monitor, we look at the... The state of well-being of our students, like I say, it is very close to our heart. Um, so I think, in terms of mental health, in terms of suicide, uh, we do look at it very carefully. But I think, looking at the suicide cases that uh, has happened, uh, we need to recognize that while stress is part of the component, it is usually multifactorial. Some of the stress comes from various sources. Um, it is not just in the situation of the school context. Uh, it is about relationship issues. In fact, just now I shared with you the chart about what are the common stressors, right? There are many kinds of relationship, uh, life transition changes uh, in terms of expectations. Uh, oftentimes, in a single case, a few of these factors uh, are in the play 
and working simultaneously together to precipitate stress. And therefore, I think um, causes uh, some of these children to tip over. The other important situation is also that uh, a lot of these cases has got mental health uh, problems, psychiatric issues, some of which is not just about simply about stress. It is about a prolonged situation where I think um, there's a medical condition involved and we have to get in the medical doctors to do the assessment. But I think in terms of um, looking for students in distress, that part, I think we are very specific about it. In fact, in schools, um, we have given the list of indicators for the teachers. What are common signs of distress? Every teacher needs to have them and teachers do look out for students who are in distress. Um, but then the, again, the reality is that sometimes, you know, students don't always show it. Yeah, sometimes I don't know whether they want to hide deliberately or, or you know, and teachers can't be everywhere. But having said that, I think they are clear indicators that we look out for and we have a system of referral in the school system where we will pick up some of this as, as much as we can, as early as we can and bring them for support and help. Uh, so in that aspect, I think we are... Uh, not vague about it. Um, the other thing, a quick response to the lack of sleep. Uh, yes, we do monitor our students and we know that surveys have shown that uh, yeah, our students generally have short hours of sleep sometimes, some of them. But the issue is not, again, always due to stress. A lot of them are on social media. In fact, they are having a well over time, enjoying it, not very stressful. They are just talking on the internet and having fun until you know, in the middle of the night. And I think that, that is a, an issue that we want to address as well. Okay, thank you. Okay, maybe we, yes, we have someone from the floor. Uh, sorry, okay. Uh, I would like to share my perspective uh, from a teacher who teach a SEC4 student. Um, I have a batch of students who came to class and tell me that teachers, uh, we sleep at 1 and we wake up at 5 because we have simply too much homework to complete. And uh, at 5 o'clock, we have to wake up and uh, prepare for school. Right, and now I would like to share with you um, perspective of a mother and a parents because my child, um, this is his first year enter enter primary one, right? At four and a half years old, I was caught by his English teacher to his kindergarten and told me that um, Mrs. Chia, I, I really concerned about your child. Uh, although you have repeatedly told us that, you know, let's him develop naturally. But he's behind 90% of the kids uh, in my class, right? He doesn't have a sense of competition. He's not interested in doing worksheet at all. At four and a half years old, beginning of his K1. So I was very puzzled. I feel like, mm, is kids supposed to be interested in doing worksheet at this age? I mean, is my child normal or abnormal? So, so, so then, um, but anyway, I, okay, so, so I, I, I try to support him slightly more at home. And uh, I, I'm not a Chinese, so eventually I and my husband discussed and uh, uh, I decided that I would support him with uh, English-related subject at home and uh, send him for Barry Word, um, the Chinese tuition, right? So he go through K1, K2 happily, right? And the spelling list at K2 keep increasing. 
So when we enrolled him in primary one, I was still very determined not to send him to tuition. And uh, after the second week in primary one, the form teacher and the special need AED called me in and uh, tell us again that uh, I think there's some problem with your child learning issue. Although he can speak three languages at home fluently, uh, so the teacher repeatedly tell us that he has some learning ability issue and we need to send him for professional assessment. Sorry, your question is? Yeah, so, so that is the experience uh, as a parent about experience stress. And my son, after like nine months entering primary school, you can see the behavior change so much. Okay. So I think this is, sorry to be emotional, right? It is just really very heartbreaking to be a parent and to see that your child being a happy and a lovely child at home and going to school the first year of his formal education system turn into a child that the teachers say not developmental ready for school. And both of us, the parents, are university grad. We work for the government. So at least in terms of genes and probably DNA, we have no issues, right? Yeah, but this is the reality that I myself experience as a parent. Stress in school, stress upon myself, and stress upon my children. Thank you. Yeah, so I really hope that uh, as a community, we really face this truth right at the face and do something about it. Because our children are too precious, right? So, so please do not make a, a comment loosely that uh, some stress is good, right? Because you don't really know what happened when a child is stressed and start browsing at the suicidal books at the library or, you know, at some bookshop because I, I really have pa parents, friends who say that my child going through the suicidal books okay. and immediately I take her out Thank of you. school system. Thank you very much right. for your sharing. Thank you. Yes, hi, son. Yeah. Uh, thanks. Thank you for sharing. Uh, if it's any consolation to you, uh, many parents in our study also mentioned the same things about stress, about you know the heartbreak of seeing their children suffer doing homework late into the night. I mean, if it's any comfort to you, you are not alone in this. Thank you. Okay, I think maybe a little, yes, we have a question. I'm Dinya. I come from 100 Voices. And uh, I would like to add on one thing that, uh, um, forgive my blunt word, okay? There is a danger when we say that uh, if you remove all the stress, our children will not have a chance to learn resilience, okay? What I'm trying to say is that there's no lack of stresses in our society. But at least the stress should not come from the school and should not come from the family. Because sitting in this room are people with the ability to craft changes in a policy to make a school more joyous environment. They have the ability to do that. In my personal capacity in the family, I would do that. But I'm lucky. I'm a stay-at-home father. 
I look at my children 10 hours every day for 10 years. I do not understand them as well as I would like them to be. Imagine what are about working parents who see their children only one or two, day, one or two hours a day. So in our, work, in our work with 100 Voices, we came across very sad remarks from university students speaking in front of 150 peer classmates to say one thing, that she say, I cannot control what other people do to me. I have to listen, but I can decide what to do with my body. She slit her wrist twice. Another young man who came to us because of 100 Voices work in a private focus group, they say he has been experiencing depression, but he is told that not to show negative emotion because that is not strong. So he hides it until he has a breakdown at 18 years old. And the parents say that you are not strong enough. These are very, very sad cases. It, it could come from academy, it could come from family, it can come from anything, I do not know. Okay, what I'm trying to say is that we must do our best to reduce the stresses because there's no way for us to eliminate all the stresses. So let's not worry about them not having a chance to learn resilience. We have just too many chances. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for the views. I think I'll just uh, take the question that it has the most votes in the pigeonhole. Um, question also may be a bit related and it's a bit more into what can we do, right? So recognizing that the overly competitive system in Singapore, oh, let me try to get this right. Right. Recognizing that the overly competitive system in Singapore needs some time to change, how can we equip students or children with the skills to better cope with the system in the meantime? So yes, stress is there, stress is inevitable in some ways, then how can we help them cope better uh, in, the, in the system that they are in? So perhaps, uh, Pauline, you might want to take that? So in the interim, I think it's very important for us to have a barometer in every classroom, right? So this means that one, one simple thing that MOE teachers can learn when you're trying to calibrate how much is enough would be to just have a sense of how long it takes for students to complete holistically all the work that is piled on by all the teachers, right? Um, at universities, I, I believe that we do the same, you know, inflict the same pain on our students, a simple thing that we don't coordinate, and that is submission timeline for the, final, for, the, for the term paper. Something so simple that we can do, if only we stagger. But no, all of us want to have the last deadline because we feel that we have to teach them enough before they can, um, they, before they can write a good paper. So as a result of the structural inadequacy, we end up putting university students through a lot of stress in week eight, week nine, week 10, full of dandruff, all of them walking around like zombies. <laughs> so for younger children, then perhaps uh, because they are in the same school, right, doing the same subjects, just for the teachers to take note of how much time is required by their charges to complete the set work. And then to send very strong messages to parents that you don't need to send your child for enrichment. But if your child has fallen behind and they need real tuition to catch up, if the school cannot help, then maybe the school can partner the family in identifying a good source 
where the patch-up can take place outside of school hours so that the child will be in a better stead. So then, what can MOE do when you are assuring students, parents, that they do not need enrichment? Take a look at your test instruments. If the instruments test things that are not taught in your classroom, that's a sure sign that enrichment centres will capitalise on that gap. So whatever is not taught by your teachers, don't test it on the former test. But if your intention is to stretch the student so that they learn how to think out of the box and be more creative and you want to nurture talent, you can do it and have it ungraded, right? When I'm not saying that you don't stretch the young mind, do it in a fun environment where it is not counted. But in your former testing, in the PSLE T-scores, don't include questions that are not covered in the syllabus. And just get rid of the need for enrichment centres to exist. They are like parasites. Why do we want to... Why do we want to... Don't, don't quote me, huh? <laughs> Otherwise, people will throw eggs at me. But why do we need to have enrichment centres? I, for one, prescribe to the fact that MOE teachers are the best teachers. And I'll say it to anyone who would listen to me. My son needed only tuition because MOE changed the second language testing criteria, right? And then he couldn't pass it. And the person who helped him was a school teacher, right? Who came out of the goodness of her heart and said, let me help him through the system. Just give me your September holidays and let me just drill him, okay? So that he understands how to, how to be exam smart. But other than that, you know, I don't think that we should allow that space for an enrichment centre to go through materials that the school teachers are responsible for. You are the domain experts. Claim it back. Don't give it away. What we need is tuition centres, people who are really doing catch-up work. Right In Chinese, tuition is busi. That means to catch up with what you missed out on in school because you're a slower learner, you miss out because you're a sportsman, or for whatever reason. That's all right. But enrichment, seriously? Why do we need that? MOE is doing excellently. Okay. Okay, Dennis, you want to say a few things? Okay. okay. Thanks, uh, Pauline, for adding that. Um, I think with respect to the understanding of the overly competitive system and how can we help our students, uh, I just want to clarify that um, when we talk about stress in the system, uh, what is important is really not you see, stress is an issue of over, over excesses. I think what we meant is that to deal with the excesses part, we are not saying that stress is good. In fact, stress is part of the problem that we need to manage. And I think in schools, uh, our emphasis is really to teach our students skills um, so that they can actually manage. For example, back to the homework uh, issue, um, I think, the, as Pauline has shared, the homework issue, they, every child has many teachers and there are many, multiple subjects and it's quite a challenge to manage how much homework because I think every teacher is a good teacher. Teacher wants also to help the students and part of the equation of 
learning is really about giving them practice, although we want to manage the amount. So I think one of the ways, important control point is also to teach the kid to see how much they can, uh, they, 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 they are facing and when they feel that it's too much, um, teach them the skills to negotiate with the teachers, feedback to the teachers that, hey, you know, the deadline is too tight. Um, I have all these and I also have busy CCAs and all those and work with the teachers on maybe renegotiating a new timeline or the amount. I think these are important life skills that we want our students to learn as well so that that adds on to their resilience because it's an important skills that they can bring into their work life. So this is part of the uh, efforts that we can help our students to really cope better. Okay, I just want to come back to the point that, uh, you know, stress in schools is a multifaceted thing and it's actually a lot of parties that contribute to it. Uh, so while we talk about schools and all that, there's also an element for parents. So uh, there is a question here about how much can parent education help in the discussion? Who should be responsible to equip parents with skills to better cope with the system and support students uh, effectively? Maybe I can uh, get uh, Hoi San to answer this question given the study that she did. I think a lot of times, um, you know, when we look at children and then they say that they're so stressed in school, and then many times it's easy for us to say that, yeah, you know, but parents have such high expectations. Parents are the source of stress for these children. And uh, it also doesn't help because, you know, when children are faced with school stress in school, who do they turn to? I mean, the first person that they turn to, they, they turn to their families. So if the stress is coming from within, then it's actually double whammy for the child. You stress in school, and then you go back home, and then it's, and you know, you suffer even more uh, from someone who's so close to you. So I, I totally agree that parent education is the way to go forward. But at the same time, we should also empathize a little bit with the parents. You know, why why they have such high expectations? Is it because of the system? Is it because of, you know, because a lot of times when we interview parents, they said, yeah, I mean, I don't want this to happen too. I don't want to have to sit down and go through work with my child after work and, you know, late into the night, but what to do? I mean, she's not coping in school. She's going to get ostracized in school if she's not doing well. So, you know, there is a lot of, I think, miss, there's a, there's a huge gap here that we're looking at. I mean, when much as we would think that, you know, okay, parents should support the children, but the parents are saying that, yeah, but, you know, I'm also feeding into this system. I'm not just going with the flow. So I'm not sure to what extent parent education can help as, as long as, you know, the system actually plays a strong emphasis on academic achievement. And even if we're moving away from that, say we, we want to look at soft skills now, parents will still find a chance to hone those soft skills. And that in itself is added stress for the children. So I don't have a good answer to that, but I think there seems to be a need for concerted effort that comes from many different um, mm. people. Yes. Hello, I'm Adeline and I'm from Care Singapore Children at Risk Empowerment Association. Thank you so much for all that you've shared. Uh, just a few points that I'd like to uh, share. Um, one, regarding homework. Um, I mentioned earlier in the earlier, the thing that 
you know, in the Finnish education system, the number of hours of homework that teachers are allowed to give to students is kept at a maximum. I cannot remember what is a maximum. If I remember right, it's something like not more than the age of the child. So if you're 10 years old, in one week, you cannot have more than 10 years of homework. And all the teachers must cooperate and work together to make sure that you do not give, you do not exceed that cap or something like that. Check, check it out. I, I can't remember exactly, but I was like, whoa, that sounds awesome. Um, Dr. Kong, you mentioned that a bit hard to coordinate. That's a bad excuse, lah. sorry. Yeah? But I'm sure as MOE teachers, we are amongst the best in the world. We can do something as small as that. We can talk among ourselves and the teachers can coordinate to ensure that, you know, math teacher don't give five, five, five hours and say, I only give five hours. Then after the science teacher give another five hours and then another teacher, it all adds up. But if we can coordinate, I think we can, do, we can handle this homework thing a little better. That's one point. The second point I want to make is, uh, I appreciate what Dr. Pauline mentioned, um, regarding tests, exams. I, I wonder, in this day and age where so much information is available, we can totally educate ourselves offline, I mean online, if we wanted to, can we relook at what we test kids for, what we want to teach kids? Do we have to cram them with so much information that they don't really need? and focus on the critical skills that they really need in order to excel in this world. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for your views. We have actually hit uh, time, but I'm just going to take one question from the pigeon hole. So give me five minutes, Matthew, sorry. Uh, because I think this is quite interesting. It's about differentiation, which uh, Pauline talked about earlier. Uh, differentiation, depending on perspective, may be beneficial for children. So isn't the world already moving towards individualized learning? So that's the question. So uh, Polly, maybe you want to share your views on that? Oh, I'm not against differentiation. I think differentiation is fine. It's the value we attribute to the differentiated. So for example, mainstream O-levels versus IP, right? So the word is somehow gotten out that IP is better than, than the mainstream school. And so because of that, then the prestige is attached to the schools offering IP. It doesn't help that the schools that are allowed to offer IP are already the premium schools to start off with. So the correlation, you can understand how parents get confused, right? They look at RI and they go IP, they look at RGS, IP, and they go like, all oh, the top schools have IP, so IP must be better. So I think here is where messaging is very important. Whenever we create an offshoot, a product, we have to explain to parents why they are different and who should take advantage of the differences. I mean, take NUS High School. When it came out, it was sold as a prestige product as well, right? Prestige NUS High School, of course. I also send my kids to for the testing, right? There. But the problem is we don't understand, and parents are very strange creatures, and that's why I say all of us are to blame, you know, when we look at the you know, sad state of affairs. When we see something come up with a brand name, we immediately think that that's good. Regardless of whether our child is good or not in science and math, let's just try for it, right? Because it's a prestigious op option. Same with you know, all the other you know, specialized schools that we have. So I think we, we are not educated sufficiently when a differentiated product is released. 
why it is done. So is it MOE's fault? I don't think so. I think that sometimes MOE speaks and we don't hear what MOE is trying to say. So perhaps one of the things that government officers have to do is to really learn how to get the message out and not assume that when you make an announcement, it will be taken at face value. It will never be taken at face value. There is too much distillation, right? Um, okay, thank you very much. So it's been an interesting session, lots of questions, I think coming from viewpoints of parents as well as educators. I uh, hope the panel hasn't felt that it was a very stressful session. <laughs> adding to the stress, but I think uh, it's, a, it's a good uh, perspective to see that uh, stress is really something that um, you know, occurs and in it's multifaceted. It's really everyone has a part to uh, play in creating uh, a very stressful environment as well as uh, undoing that stressful environment. How do we together um, actually help our children cope better in school and feel less stress uh, in, in their lives? So thank you very much to the panellists and uh, to those uh, to all of you uh, in the floor who have been very participative in this session. Thank you.